The presenting sponsor for On Education is Classcraft. We're excited to announce Classcraft's new story mode, which makes it easy for educators to harness the power of stories. Episodes 1 and 2 of Season 1 are ready for you and your students to play today, and it's completely free. To learn more about Classcraft and the new story mode, simply visit classcraft.com slash oneducation. Listen, I'm turning 40, and I don't want to be, you know, dead when I'm 60. Welcome to On Education, part of the Education Podcast Network. I am Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will discuss why focusing on the essentials in teaching can have such an awesome impact on student learning. We will count down to episode 100 of the podcast, and our guest this week is author and math specialist Sunil Singh. We played video games together. This we week did. for the first time in a while, actually. Yeah, there was a since, new since game that came out. Since our farming days. Yeah, we haven't played in a long time. Uh, so Borderlands 3 came out, and it is an extremely violent game <laughs> with lots of inappropriate humor, which... Yeah, this is a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do moment. ...is great for adults, uh, but not so great for <laughs> anybody else. Uh, but, yeah. oh man, we were cracking up and laughing and... Uh, it's having, very funny having a good time because it's just the the creators of this game just take things to a new level as far as the humor uh the crude humor i guess that's that's a good way to be able to describe it uh super sure. fun to play uh multiplayer game so if you guys are out there you're uh interested in a co-op shooter game <laughs> it's pretty funny it's fun yes it I'll tell you, if you pull like the humor and and kind of the violence out of the context of the game itself, it's an amazing piece of work. the The art styles, like if you're not familiar with Borderlands games, it's got a very unique. I hate. I can't believe I just said very unique. I hate when people say very unique. Anyways, <laughs> it has a. <laughs> nothing can be very unique. Things are unique or they're not unique. They're not very unique. They're not more. Anyways. <laughs> It's like, hey, squirrel. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Borderlands 3 is great. It's got an awesome art style. You should go check it out. It's really, really cool. Um, in other cool news, we, we have lots of actually kind of cool news related to us, I suppose. The um, Our conference booth is done. Like we've bought, I, I every time um, I can, I go on a bit of a shopping spree and finish off the rest of the booth so we've got banners now we've got tablecloths we're, we're ready to go for impact education conference and fetc um, we will have the full booth experience it's going to be so cool what is I'm the really full excited. booth experience for those that have never <laughs> got the experience it's, it's a in magical life. it's it's a magical sonic journey <laughs> I don't what's awesome don't know. what's awesome is that we have such a huge audience here in Minnesota so maybe we're going to meet some people for the first time some listeners that have listened to the show but now are going to be able to get the experience on education live live and with a full booth and in, yeah. in a very in a variety of settings too we're going to be all over the place the so it's going to be super exciting and we're going to be doing live shows in three different places from what it seems like I can gather. We're going to have our table set up and then we're going to have our setup in the big area. I don't know. I've never been to this venue, so I don't know what the big area is other than that. I know that there's a big area and we're talking in it at some point and then our own room. We have our own kind of session room. So there'll be live shows everywhere. It's going to be wild everywhere. So we're coming, come and say hi. Maybe join us for you know a couple seconds. We'll put you on the show, man. That'd be amazing. Sure, it's gonna be amazing. We're doing a Saturday pre-conference workshop. We should plug this just a little bit, I guess. So if you are from Minnesota and you are planning on going to Impact, um, we are doing a workshop on Saturday uh, for four hours. We are going to go through the everything about making a podcast, and then you Show are you going to secrets. make a podcast. <laughs> yeah, how to make outlines and then, you know, tips on recording and editing. And then you're going to go ahead and make one. And 
Um, we'll leave a little bit of a surprise for when you're there, but let's just say there's a big surprise at the end, um, a, a cool opportunity uh, that we want to share with you when you're there. So if you have an opportunity to sign up on the Saturday for the pre-conference workshop, you should do that. Yeah, join us. It'll be awesome. So we're still putting videos out on YouTube uh, every day. It's part of my morning routine with a coffee. Uh, putting out a, a new episode, a, a new old episode of On Education. Um, but we have a contest. So we've been kind of plugging this contest a little bit. Uh, we have hoodies. They're awesome. Uh, I just bought one for myself nice. uh, the other day, uh, and I'm excited to rock it. Um, but what we want is we need some people to subscribe to our channel. We have other really quite a bit bigger plans for YouTube later. Um, but you know, it's not going to mean a whole lot if there's not a lot of subscribers. So we want, um, subscribers. So subscribe to on education on YouTube, tweet us with proof that you've subscribed somehow. There's been a couple already that have been pretty funny and we'll pick a winner after we get a hundred subscribers. Nice. So when we get to at least a hundred subscribers, we will, we will uh, pick a date and pick. If it seems like it's really still going, we'll let people still subscribe because obviously we'd like more. Um, but you can win a hoodie. That's like, it's worth like 80, 70 bucks, 60 Ooh. bucks. It was 70 bucks Canadian. Dang. It's not cheap. That's a, it better be top quality. You're going to be hoodie. returning that hoodie. <laughs> that's a premium <laughs> hoodie, baby. <laughs> be the best hoodie I've ever worn in my life. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's awesome. So, we're also coming up real close to episode 100. This is technically, this is episode 94, the 94th recording that is public. Mm. So that's that's actually more of a qualifier because we have obviously the infamous episode zero, which doesn't count. So this is 94. Um, we have a whole bunch of stuff coming all in like the next couple weeks it's going to be bonkers um, we just finished talking to Anne and adam from flipgrid that'll be out this week as well uh, we're talking to our friends from classcraft next week uh, also next week we're talking to stephen reed mm. uh, the minecraft he's extraordinaire amazing. genius friend of the pod even though he's never been on he's both of our friends though he's the most hilarious he's another hilarious guy <laughs> yeah it's gonna be rad awesome. i'm so excited um we we've got a pretty cool guest coming up maxime durand from ubisoft the video game company he is um one of the producers of the uh new the greece discovery tour game that's built on assassin's creed uh so we're gonna talk to him uh episode 99 is adam welcome i think if he's listening to this he's going to be upset that he's not episode 100 that he's 99 instead but adam welcome is uh pretty cool and we're excited to have him on and then i think we're gonna do dig it or ditch it for episode 100 yeah i, I think that seems appropriate that's super appropriate we should definitely do it i think so we have to be a good th- special episode right. 100 we've thrown thrown a bit of a gauntlet down to noah to uh to bring it mm-hmm. to bring it like he's never brought in it before <laughs> that's gonna <laughs> so happen we'll pretty soon actually uh huh. Yes. Yeah. So like that's that's six episodes in the next two and a half weeks. Mm. Um, that's some so content, like, baby. Content. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. Um, it looks like I think both of us actually. I, I mean, I'm turning forty in seven weeks. Mm. Getting so old, I've been baby. Thinking, oh, <laughs> you're telling me. I've been thinking a lot about my health. I've been thinking a lot about my health for a little while now. I mean, I reference it in my keynote, and and so I I talk about it a a bit. Um, And so I actually just bought a bike trainer Mm. and and did my first real ride today, which is super exciting. I rode around Central Park in Manhattan virtually on my iPad, and it was uh, really neat. But you're thinking about health too. Yes, and I I was just having a conversation not only with uh, my wife, but just some friends about how we tend to spend so much money, at least in the United States, because we, we don't have a healthcare system for free, uh, only after we get ill. And it came about actually right. the conversation because one of my kids got sick this, uh, this past week. And we were just talking just in general about how much money we end up spending after the fact that we get mm-hmm. 
sick. Uh, instead of spending money up front on ourselves mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. via supplements and exercise equipment, as you described, or even uh, a gym membership, or yeah. I, I, I'm convincing my wife to let's do 30 days because there's a uh, deal going on right now, 30 straight days of hot yoga. You know, the funny part about it, Mike, is I hardly ever do yoga in general. I've never even done hot yoga and I'm commit. I want to commit to 30 straight <laughs> days of it. Um, but all of these things just in the name of just being healthy, you know, and then, and, and then making sure that uh, I can do the things and have the energy uh, to do the things that I want to do. All of the things that, you know. Uh, that are thrown on us and all the opportunities that we have can do all of those things can still be uh, fit and then be able to you know play with my kids and do all of those things and then live a, a nice uh, long healthy life you know uh, so I think that's an important part that we tend to miss and this is a, an opportunity for me even though you spend money up front you know on supplements and this and whatever it might be as long as you're spending it on yourself to be able to make uh, your life that much better, you should do that. I think food is included in that one too. Because a lot of times sure. we we tend to, and I'm just generalizing on people, and I, I do this, I can say my, myself, you spend less money on food even though the quality of that food is going to be you know not as good. And so mm-hmm. uh, spending good uh, spending money on food shouldn't be something that's you know we're we're sad about you know we that's that that spend money on good quality food that you're going to take into your body and then keep your yourself healthy and strong and those types of things and live a nice long life. So been thinking about that as as uh, the beginning of the year has has rolled itself out. I've challenged myself a few times over the last couple months to. Like we get takeout a fair bit, a little bit more than we would like to from a financial perspective, I guess. Yeah. But I mean, my default kind of position or my default go-to thing for takeout is like chicken wings. And so I've been challenging myself to like stop and think about what I actually want to get when it comes to like takeout and getting things like Vietnamese food, which is quite a bit healthier or, or pho or you know whatever something that's healthier even a salad even a good like chicken salad or Mm. something like that instead of getting wings or you know poutine which you know is awesome (laughs) and hard to hard to say for people that don't know what poutine is you should describe it to them because i had never had heard of it until i came to the midwest and then i saw this plate full of all i could describe it as is a bunch of cheese and then it's a, a whole bunch of, awesome. of other things that were not healthy but delicious. No. <laughs> yes. So poutine is is French fries with ideally cheese curds. Mm. People do other things. Some cheaper restaurants or whatever will put like shredded cheese on it and stuff like that. But it's ideally cheese curds and then gravy. Mm. What a and combo! It's, awesome. <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> you've you've. Like you go to Montreal and it's like you, you know, like when you go to different cities and there's like a special dish or whatever mm-hmm. that you, like you go to Nashville, you have to have hot chicken and, you know, whatever. Um, poutine is like the required dish of Montreal. going to Montreal. <laughs> so, but it's, it's pretty popular everywhere, you know, that where normal people live anyways. So you should, you should. <laughs> I had never even heard of it. I'm from the Southwest. When they said poutine, I was like, what is that? I mean, when I ate it, I was like, holy, this is amazing Uh, and horrible for you. (laughs) It's totally horrible for you. It's the worst. (laughs) It's the worst awesome food that there is. Uh, So, I mean, I'm cutting back on the poutine. Um, So, you know, it's a struggle. But I, I, I listen, I'm turning 40 and I don't want to be you know, dead when I'm 60 kind of thing. Like I'm really thinking about, you know, 40 being the best decade of my life. Um, You know, from a career perspective, things are going really, really well. And I want my body and my mind to match that, I think. Mm. Um, So, so I'm thinking about that a lot as well. So this article that we have here before we head to break is pretty 
funny in the sense that like I, I want to file it under thanks Captain Obvious um, because like it just seems like we've talked about this before and we could have told these researchers this quite a while ago. So there's an article, we'll put it in the show notes, <laughs> that basically it's a study that found that the, the most cost-effective way to um, increase Americans who get four-year degrees is to um, provide tuition to families with incomes under $60,000 a year. It's like, really? Well, thanks. We... <laughs> I mean, it seems pretty obvious, right? Yeah, and I think what they, uh, the article is kind of doing a compare and contrast also with the current system, which is being adopted by various cities, uh, some states throughout uh, the United States, uh, which is to have community college be free. And what they're finding is that those two-year programs aren't really making that big of an economic difference for many people. So it's not enough to be able to make that jump out of from where they were to where they're going. Uh, not mm. that uh, there's not some great community colleges and they're doing amazing things, uh, sure. training people in specific areas, but it, it, in average, really it's not doing that much to basically take people out of poverty or or just raise their income brackets. So what they're saying is, of course, that if you make less than $60,000 as a family, you should get your uh, college tuition for free. And that's a, a platform actually right now for many of the candidates, uh, Democratic presidential candidates. And yeah. people still have it in their heads that, that's a, that there's Hand some out. negative perception you know there's definitely some negative perceptions about oh, that yeah. and i think it's a combination of a lot of things you know it's a combination of i you know the old i managed to put myself through college so you should have to also uh you that's know kind of that dumb kind, kind of that thing that's what i hear too those of us that accumulated a crazy amount of debt and then we went to school and then some people like that's yeah. like well they should have to pay too and get a humongous amount of debt too it's like that's a horrible idea <laughs> for all of us. A, um, it's just a bad argument. Yeah, and and just the concept of education, whether it should be it should actually uh, be something that you need to uh, economically be able to afford, is is just it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and I'm sure other people have other arguments about why or why not you should you should charge, uh, but colleges so or universities in the United States are super expensive and. Uh, anybody, I mean, a family making less than sixty thousand is surviving in the United States. Um, they're, they're. Uh, I mean, I'm Barely. sure, I'm sure they're going to be called middle class just because there's such a, uh, there's a class, uh, classes below that that are making even less money and, and they're stru really struggling. Uh, but sixty thousand isn't enough to. There, you, you know what? It's enough to do is to say, hey, uh, son or daughter, you're going to need to take out some loans or uh, earn some scholarships or a combination of those things in order to be able to afford universities. And it just doesn't seem right to me. So it's a great article, good comparison between the two things. And it kind of shows uh, uh, why we should consider doing this. It's like, imagine a husband and a wife and two kids in a household income of 60 grand. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't that's it's less than half of what Cheryl and I make. And it's like, I couldn't imagine. Yeah. It li like we're barely getting by. We're not barely getting by. We're, we have a lot of things that other folks may not have, but like, it's not necessarily easy. And I mean, this, like the rise, I say it all the time about a lot of different things, but a rising tide raises all boats is, still a really good phrase even to think about you know the fact that if we can raise up kind of the the folks who have the least in society and bring their their education levels higher i mean everybody wins yeah in that and it's giving them the opportunities too with that come with those obviously with those education uh you know degrees to be able to go out and seek out those higher paying jobs, just more opportunities for everybody. So it's definitely something we should all be definitely considering rather than it be something kind of a crazy idea that's out there, you know? Yeah. It's not as crazy as people think. That's for sure. Um, 
there's little doubt we're entering a fascinating time in education with tools and resources like we've never seen and ideas and practices that are breaking the paradigm of what a classroom looks like. Uh, some could say we're entering a bit of a golden age in education. For that to happen, though, there are some things we need to put back into focus, and we'll talk about that when we come back, so stay with us. On Education is brought to you by Pick My Kid. Pick My Kid is an automated dismissal solution that cuts car line time in half. It engages parents with the parent app by being able to change dismissal routines right from their phone. Friends, that means no more front office calls. Pick My Kid is an affordable solution for schools and removes dismissal stress for parents, teachers, and staff. For more information, visit PickMyKid.com. That's P-I-K-MyKid.com. On Education is also brought to you by Taylor Ed. As teachers, meeting the needs of each and every student in today's classroom is time-consuming, complicated, and just overwhelming. Taylor Ed makes differentiation in math effortless through curated resources, smart student grouping, and student insights beyond proficiency. Sign up today using the promo code ONEDUCATION and receive three months free on us. Visit taylor-ed.com for more information. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. We're in a really interesting time in education, like I said before the break, and there's lots of cool things going on. But there's an article that was released earlier this week that kind of puts some of this progress into perspective and in that we're on the cusp maybe of a golden age of education, but maybe we're not there just yet, right, Glenn? Yeah, and I I thought the most compelling, and I always use the word compelling part of this uh, article was it really just broke it down to the basics, like really said, okay, what should we actually be focusing on first before we do anything else? Because we talk a lot about, for example, ed tech uh, or mm -hmm. seating arrangements yeah. uh, or just other types of things that are great additions to an already great classroom that's functioning at a really high level but you can't get to that high level and we've described it before unless you have some uh, some things in place already and this article does a really really good job of describing what are those things that you need before you do anything else and what are those things that you should really hyper focus on and be become a master of and continue to, to work on those skills before you take on you know the next the next things whatever those things may be so i think especially we're sharing it with for example our new teachers in our district but i think every teacher could use to read this and just kind of rehash that and remind themselves about okay what are the most essential things that i should be making sure that i focus on on a day-to-day -day basis and am i doing those things and then if i am heck yeah and if I'm not, I need might need to tweak some things, move some things around to make sure that I am uh, focusing. And, and, and the article is from uh, Education Leadership Magazine. So it's, it's made for our administrators who do observations to really do that. Um, as they observe teachers, they can give them the feedback about the things that they're seeing or, they're, or they're, they want them to improve upon or need to work on a little bit more. Um, so I thought it was really, really great. One of the um, the sentences, the sentence just before it starts to get into what the couple things are that they want to point in on, um, is that none of them are hard to do. Like in the sense that if you're just thoughtful about the way you teach, if you're reflective, which is I think even just like teachers reflecting on their own practice is something that's kind of not happening a ton it's happening in our little world of like edu twitter kind of people talking about it but like i think in the wider breadth of of education there's not a whole ton of reflection going on um so you know the first one the first topic that it talks about is clear coherent curriculum and this is the one that resonated with me the most because i i it, it talks about the value of I don't want to say writing your own curriculum, but having more intentionality in designing a curriculum that is 
um, makes sense for your audience, for mm-hmm. your students, that respects your state and local, your regional um, issues and your regionality, and doesn't kind of twist and turn with the um, kind of drivers of like technology and like just like the 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 trend of the day kind of thing um and that is a work in progress and i i really enjoyed that piece of of this article talking about um the importance of a curriculum that is more intentionally built by the folks that are teaching it yeah and i think i mean when i began my career and if i'm honest i mixed up all of these types of things number one i used a curriculum that was built by a textbook company because I thought that that's exactly what I was supposed to do. Right. And what I'm talking about is actually following a textbook in in, in the progression that's even the way it was even built uh, as far as chapter one through chapter 10. And that's the way that I was teaching because I thought that that's what you were supposed to be doing. Uh, I also confuse curriculum, you know, these textbook curriculums, with the second part of this article, which is talking about instruction, I thought the curriculum and structure were kind of the same thing. You like looked at the book, you were doing some activities, blah, 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 whatever it might be, where they're not even on the same planet. So it took me a long time. And really, it would have helped to, right at the beginning of my career to have uh, an instructional coach, for example, like with the position I'm in, to really guide you along this path and say, okay, yeah, so... Here's the beginning steps of developing, for example, a lesson plan that actually makes sense with learning targets. What is a learning target? And and you can pull some materials from, for example, a textbook, but the textbook isn't the be-all, end-all. But I didn't know that, and a lot of people don't. And then going down the line of like, what do you do next? Well, you each day you got to deliver, for example, it says here, a compelling introduction for each lesson step-by-step instructions make sure you're circulating around the room it's all of those great uh, things that great teachers do on Mm -hmm. a day-to-day basis but it's really uh putting it down step by step about kind of checking yourself and saying am i doing each one of these things and there's more to this than than just the list that's here but this is a great kind of like a little mini preview of what you should be doing um and i found it Fantastic. As a tech guy, ed tech guy, I'm talking about that a lot of the time, uh, tools and whatever it might be. None of that is actually going to be very useful in, in a classroom that doesn't have these things already set in place. So it's and, it begins with this, and then you can build sure. upon that. And it, it, it shouldn't surprise anyone, and it certainly doesn't surprise, I don't think, the both of us that – um, a lot of this article and these ideas are root, rooted in professional development and pre-service training and teaching those um, those 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 students that are doing their their bachelors of educations um, that this is where it starts and you know that professional development is is critical crucial to making good teachers like helping good teachers stay good teachers and, and encouraging them to improve and constantly work on it. it. It's rooted in professional development and that doesn't surprise either of us. I don't think at all. It doesn't surprise us at all. It, a lot of times I find Mike that people are reluctant to have these conversations about the basics of teaching. I don't know if they're afraid of being called out or whatever it might be, but I'll tell you what, at the beginning of my career, and I'm talking about a good three to five year span, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And I only right. know that now because I know a different reality now, you know, as far as like where I've, I've ended up 20, you know, I'm now 20 years into the profession. Mm-hmm. But at the beginning there, I really did need someone. I, I was passionate. I, I wanted to do the best I could, but that doesn't mean I had the tools to be able to do those things or, or the guidance, you know, to be able to do that. This is important. It's important for our leaders to share those things. It's important for us as teachers to ha- be open and be discussing this and then to share those things that work really well for us, how to begin a class period. How, how do you set your learning targets in a uh, friendly language that our kids can understand? How do you make uh, what you're teaching relevant to our students that are sitting in our classrooms. And you just said that that curriculum thing, uh, 
a textbook isn't going to be able to know who are those 25, 30 students sitting in front of you. Only you will know that and you have to adapt to them to make sure that you do the best possible job. So it's a super great article and I think it's at a great time, especially at the beginning of the year for us to be able to take a look at some things and then and then uh, be able to even make some changes, some adjustments to how we uh, are approaching our teaching. We'll link the article in the show notes so everyone can read. It's a little bit longer than most of the articles we link, but it's, it is well worth the time for you to read this and think about it and kind of absorb it and get some ideas from it. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Sunil Singh. We're super pumped to have a math specialist on. We're going to talk about math, folks. So stay tuned. Uneducation is brought to you by FreshGrade. The reality for most classrooms is that besides open house and parent-teacher conferences, there's little communication and interaction between teachers and parents. FreshGrade Next wants to change that by bringing teachers, parents, and students, all together with a new set of tools for posts, activities, comments, and class feeds. Take communication in your classroom to another level with FreshGrade Next. To learn more about FreshGrade Next and sign up for your free account, visit freshgrade.com. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Sunil Singh is a math specialist and the author of an awesome book, Math Recess, that has just recently come out. And we're excited to chat with him about all things math. Welcome to the show, Sunil. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for thanks for joining us today. It's awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Anytime I can have a sort of a robust discussion about math. Um, it's always changing. So month to month, there's newer things to talk about. Awesome. So give us a little bit of your, your bio. Let everyone know a little bit about who you are and, and what you do and, and where you're from, that sort of stuff. Sure. Um, I was a uh, math and physics teacher for 19 years, um, and I quit teaching in 2013. And uh, I didn't know what I uh, wanted to do, but I knew what I didn't want to do, which was unfortunately be in the classroom at the time. I'm sure some of our discussions will sort of be tangential to that uh, decision. And, um, you know, eventually I landed at a company um, in Montreal called Scolab, where I get to, um, you know, uh, do all things playful uh, with mathematics. Uh, and I've authored two books. Uh, first one is actually called Pie of Life, The Hidden Happiness of Mathematics. And the second mm-hmm. one, which you mentioned, I co-authored with Chris Brunel, uh, my friend and kindred spirit out in uh, California. And uh, in addition to working with um, Scolab, I also do my own kind of um, traveling in terms of doing workshops and speaking about uh, as uh, the most playful and equitable and humanizing ideas about mathematics. I love scrolling through people's Twitter feeds (laughs) just before we have them on. Um, and, and, and while well, we've had you booked for a while and I've, I've been a giant fan of in particular your Twitter feed for quite some time. Um, I, I do love scrolling through it just like the day before, a couple of days before, and you're really on the same wavelength with me about a lot of super interesting things surrounding education and social justice and racial diversity in education just in general, but there's really complicated, super interesting conversations to have about this in the context of math. And all I could think about when I was thinking about it this morning a little bit was relating it to a lot of conversations that were coming up and probably still come up uh, about EQAO, which is the uh, Canadian or the Ontario standardized (laughs) test and the the lack of diversity in the questions surrounding that even. And I'd love to just get your thoughts and ideas on how we can achieve some balance in this, how, um, how out of touch is math with diversity and, and, and social justice as it is, and how do you think we can improve in that regard? Well... You know, that's a loaded question. That's I, like you can solve a lot of problems right now, Sunil. That's yeah, all I'm saying. No, I'm going to be solving very few of them. Um, maybe more questions on top of your questions. Um, you mentioned standardized testing, and you know, my my problem with standardized testing isn't the fact that it's so much it's testing. 
or it's standardized. My problem with standardized testing is that the actual questions themselves yeah. um, are not interesting or mean anything to me or to my kids. Um, if my kids get zero, one, two, three, or four, first or four is a perfect paper, I couldn't care less. In fact, I don't allow my kids to take the test. I pull them out, not because they won't be able to do well or they, they suffer from anxiety. I don't want them to think that that's what mathematics is. I right. want them to expose them to that kind of false distillate of where you bubble in, you know, uh, circles and you answer these what questions. No, <laughs> I don't want you to look at that. That's a, that's a tire fire. So um, I'm all for getting a, a gauge or a pulse or a temperature of what kids are learning. But standardized testing, that's that's something which which is still around. It's going to be around for probably another, I don't know, 10 years, 20 years. But it's never going to have higher currency. And that's the important thing. It's eventually going to leave our system because it's such an antiquated, anachronistic way of looking at uh, math and education. So I'm all for, hey, giving kids like, here, let's see where you are. But it's actually the, the quality of questions and they're just so benign. And they're just merely sort of, you know, it's, let's be honest. It's like for a political benchmark. So Sunil, what would you say is the biggest problem with the way most people teach math right now? Uh, you have a recent blog post that says, do we math, it's titled, sorry, do we math to live or live to math? And you write, I want to live to math. Can you explain that to our audience and, and then let us know what is your, your thoughts behind, you know, the, the, the biggest problem behind the way people are teaching math? Well, it's, I, I sort of, I posed that question in my blog the same way, do we eat to live or live to eat? Right. Yes. In some in some places, you know, we have to eat to live, but I'm talking about in a generally affluent society, which we are. You know, do we live to eat? It's just not about eating well, but it's about sharing those moments with other people, and you know, those memories we have around the dinner, uh, dining room table, whether it's uh, you know holidays or feasts and those are things. Those are very important things, and the same analogies with math. Um, we we should you know uh, math to live. Um, because we want to celebrate math and not just go through this sort of, you know, uh, getting kids to be widgets and making sure they're reaching these benchmarks and all these things, because that's part of the dehumanizing part. And I think the reason why we don't, you know, um, live to math, sorry, um, is because we I don't think as a society, collectively, we really understand the, the, the beauty of math. Most of us have this sort of, the same that we were taught, we are teaching our kids with some pedagogical differences through time. But generally speaking, we still test kids, we still give kids homework, we still have a pretty standard Western canon um, of math education, which only highlights generally Western mathematicians. Um, we still have the same trajectory where it ends off in calculus, um, it, it, mm -hmm. things haven't changed. Um, and, you know, the way that, for me, there's a difference between mathematical thinking and mathematics. Um, mathematical thinking may not necessarily involve pure mathematics. Um, and it's a, for me, it's a more important thing. So kids playing with puzzles and conundrums and riddles and even, you know, gaming things they're doing, that to me ha houses a lot of mathematical thinking. So we as adults are not really doing a good job of mapping what, kids are into or what's happening to, you know, what maybe how we should approach teaching mathematics. So it, it comes up a lot with Alice. Every time Alice Keeler tweets about how she gets mad when people say I'm not good at math, I always raise my hand a little bit and go, I use, I say that all the time. Uh, and I feel, I feel kind of like I, I got to start re I'm trying to reframe my own mind uh, around it by listening to folks like you and Alice and people who love math, because I frankly hated math, um, and and I'm I'm thinking a lot about it now about why I say that almost habitually, like a like a knee jerk reaction mm -hmm. when people talk about math or um, when when math comes up, I'm like I'm not good at math. So then it it just gets me out of the conversation even sometimes, which is a bonus in some cases, I suppose. But um, what I'm really interested in in this whole conversation is about how 
we and and I think you've got this nailed. So I'm I'm really interested in your response. How can we make math more exciting, more interesting, and more engaging than the way it is right now? Well, I think first we have to start in terms of being honest in terms of what mathematics is. And I don't think we're honest, whether because we're naive or purposeful, I'm not sure. But what I mean by that is most of mathematics, you just mentioned about being good at math. And I don't know if you read the article, I read it maybe a year ago. The title of my blog was, I'm not good at math and you shouldn't be either. It was provocative, <laughs> it was provocative but what I was saying was, when you say I'm not good at math or people say I'm good at math or whatever, we're talking about the K to 12 domain of which we learned math. Um, yes. There's over 300 problems right now in the world which are unsolved, which means there's over 300 problems in the world which nobody on this planet can do. Most of the history of mathematics is about failure and blank, like, I'd, what, what should I do next? Um, right. And we haven't honored that narrative in school or in society. It's all about, hey, how when how fast can you get this answer right? Um, it's like a sitcom. After 28 minutes, when the kids leave the class, everything should be wrapped up like some sort of Gordian knot. <laughs> you know, it, that, 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 that's a complete falsehood. And it just mm. creates more anxiety, more pressure. But the worst thing it does, it does a complete disservice to what how mathematics is learned. Like, it takes time. It takes time for everybody, not just people who might be initially bright or have capabilities early on. I think we're all capable of reaching high, um, the highest points in math. I, I, you know, just like you know, there might be five percent of the population which just might be resistant to um, learning mathematics, and there might be five percent which is gifted, maybe give or take some percentage. But by far, the the, the vast majority of the population can reach this, the same heights of uh, loving math, uh, being excited about math. But I think where we failed is we don't understand that really m most of math is, is, is about failure and not being able to solve it. And so what, you know, gets, you know, what's your jam then? If you can't solve a problem or you get stuck, well, why has it captivated so many people, millions of people for thousands of years? Because it's about being in the moment of the problem. They're not looking to see, sure, they hope they can solve it, but math is so engrossing on its own that you don't have to get it right. You have to just be in the moment of the puzzle. So, I mean, and, and I connected to this other this other idea that I, I had as I was thinking about our talk today, and that said, I, I'm a history major. I love social studies. I was into it my entire life. Um, I... I still read tons of history, even academic history now. Um, and there are tons of people who just absolutely hate it, that find it completely, for lack of better words, but it's the common word, boring. And so I'm wondering, I mean, the teacher itself, him or herself, plays a pivotal role in this, I think, in in making math and history um, interesting and engaging. Do they not like like how how pivotal is the teacher in this in this context? The, the teacher is um, absolutely pivotal. Uh, you mentioned history. Uh, yeah. My favorite teacher was uh, Mr. Scott, uh, the history teacher. Um, I had history with him, um, uh, ancient history and uh, Canadian history. He was the school's favorite teacher. Um, right. And you would think, well, wow, a history teacher, and this is like you know late 70s, early 80s. This is before the internet. This is before, this is all where you got all your knowledge from encyclopedias and you went to the library and if someone had taken that, you know, BR to, um, you know, CA encyclopedia book out and you couldn't do your research project on Brazil. Um, when he spoke about history, he had everyone's attention because it seemed like he was there. He was there like in you know, in Passchendaele or Eves when he's talking about World War One, or the Assyrians or Babylonians, ancient history, like you were just glued because it was storytelling. And mm -hmm. the yeah. passion that he had, we knew this person loved history. And it was his somewhat responsibility to at least show us that he loved it. And if we could love a little bit of it too, then it was a, it was a, it was a bonus. So that's the way I taught is that I had kids come up to me saying, you know, Mr. Singh, thanks for trying. Like they, no one was confused about how much I loved mathematics or loved my students. 
And, you know, I think the history and math and teaching about math history and teaching mathematics through storytelling, um, that's a way to get some kids hooked in because it has a rich history um, where kids can see themselves as, hey, wow, I got stuck in a problem. Yeah, well, this person spent their entire life on the problem and never solved it. So there's empathy there. Um, there's equity, too, in terms of kids seeing other um, people who reflect themselves, whether it be gender, females, or people from different cultures and civilizations. So I think storytelling history is such a, uh, a central part of teaching in general, and they're very important, I think, in mathematics. So, Neil, what is math recess? Because you wrote a book and and the subtext of it says playful learning in an age of disruption. Even that part about the playful learning, I would never have associated it with my <laughs> version of what, of what I learned as far as what math was. So tell us more about math recess. Well, the idea, and I was just trying to explain uh, when I was coming up here to Montreal on the train because someone asked what I did and I came up that as an author and the title of the book, and he he found it. He was an engineering um, professor, hmm. and uh, he was going math recess, and he, he's, he's from the UK originally. So I said, well, imagine recess. I don't think they use the word recess in the UK, maybe playtime or something like that. But in North America, recess, the bell rings, kids run outside, and for the most part, recess is this hugely enjoyable part of childhood where you're just completely free, and when the bell rings, you don't want to go back. So That's so true. <laughs> what could math recess look like where you run to math and you don't want to go back to your other studies? So that was really, and really it's, 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 it's using that kind of uh, metaphor uh, in a literal way sometimes. You know, uh, when we had recess, we had um, freedom to pick our games. Well, in math recess you have a freedom to pick the math problems you want to work on. So you come into class, you may want to work on this sort of um, uh, puzzle or uh, some, some other kid may want to work on this. Not every day, but once a week, yeah. you have this freedom to pick your own math problem and just work with it. And there's no timeline for you to finish it. It's just your math problem to work on or you with a partner in a group. Um, you made up your own rules. You made up your own games. Well, same thing here. Like, you know, in math, sometimes, you know, you, you have to augment the, the situation in terms of, you know, what works, what doesn't work. Um, you know, can we try this? Um, so it's it has that same sort of sense of freedom and playfulness. And you, you, you take risks and you fall down and you skin your knee. Same thing with math. You fall down, you get an answer wrong, you get up, you get an answer wrong again. You're willing to do that because the environment is so conducive to how children learn, which is through play. Play is not a subset of mathematics. Play is mathematics. There was a conversation I was just having with somebody about math as far as our experiences. And a lot of the experiences people have had and maybe continue to have are that that math comes in in just black or white, right or wrong. And there's and then what you're describing is a lot of that playful, the gray, the the experimenting with things, and it's okay if things don't come out the exact right answer. Do you kind of know what I mean? Yeah, it's and it's see right now, most of the way that we communicate math to um, students and even to ourselves as teachers, especially on social media, we share the winning strategy or the best strategy or this is what it's you know here is the solution. Hmm. It's like it's like we're sharing the climax of a book. Well, what about That's not true. <laughs> what about the rest of the story? Like for mm -hmm. me, I'm interested in from the beginning to the end. So when a student gets a problem, what's your initial reaction to this problem? Do you feel anxious? Yeah. Do you feel loathsome? Are you excited? Are you curious? Then you start working through it. Oh, okay, I'm beginning to see the light. Oh, I hit a dead end. Now I'm frustrated. I want to capture the whole story because that's what really mathematics is. It's not about just racing to the end and going, here's the five different strategies to solve the problem. And when they talk about positive struggle on social media, what they're saying is we like struggle as long as you get the right answer. But for me, yes. struggle is fine. I don't care if you get the right answer or not, because what about all the thousands of people who did mathematics and never got the right answer? Did they waste their time? And mm. uh, the analogy I use, I used when I was in a classroom in California, there's a student in the back who put his hand up saying, I didn't like math. And I kind of guessed he had some sort of athletic ability. 
And I said, uh, well, today after school, if you went and shot some fadeaway three-pointers for an hour and you missed every single one, did you waste your time? Yeah. What did he say? He said no. <laughs> but before he, could, yeah. before he could actually even finish his one-syllable no, yeah. he got what I was saying. Uh, yep. Yeah. He understood it. <laughs> yeah. I love that. So, Sunil, how can uh, our listeners get in contact with you? How they can, can they connect with you to be able to go ahead and uh, maybe ask questions or even purchase your book? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, social media, Twitter, um, you know, I'm, I'm there every day uh, posting, lurking, sometimes just lurking. Um, so on Twitter, um, at MathGarden, um, capital M, and uh, definitely uh, follow me on Twitter. And uh, if you say you followed me because listen to this podcast, um, I'll follow you back and then we can message each other. And if you have any questions about uh, whether you're a teacher or not about mathematics, uh, I'm always quick to respond, whether you ask uh, publicly or privately a message, I'd love to talk about mathematics with you. Uh, Sunil Singh, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you so much, Glenn. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the Education Podcast Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Jennifer Gonzalez, Matt Miller, and many more by visiting edupodcastnetwork.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Classcraft, for supporting us. Check out classcraft.com slash oneducation to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.